Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part nine in the series, Contending for the Faith. This is the morning session of Sunday the 5th of July 2009, entitled, The Basis of Our Faith, Part 2. And the Bible readings are taken from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, and 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 17. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. I'd like to open your Bibles, 2 Timothy chapter 3. We'll be reading verses 14 through 17 while you've got your finger there. Flip back just a few pages in your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. I invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word. First of all, from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Then in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 17, He says, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Father, again, I thank you for this day. I thank you, Lord, that, Lord, that by your grace you reached down one day and saved our sinful soul. Father, I thank you as we're gathered here today that, Lord, that we have your word and we have your spirit. We have your promise. Father, as we come now, we ask for that anointing that it can only come from you. Father, may not just the words of man be heard here today, but may we hear from you. Would you take these words and make them alive into our heart as only you can? Lord, you know the hearts of each one here today. You know. Or those that are here that are lost, that have never really been saved. You know, those that are here that are saved, but are walking afar off, that are backslidden, that, that, Lord, there's something in their life that needs to be dealt with this day. Father, you know the Christians, that, Lord, to the best of their ability, they're faithful, they're walking with you. But, Lord, you know the challenges that they'll be facing. You know the burdens they might be carrying. Father, we commit these needs into your hands. Pray that you would work in each life and each heart as only you can. May you receive all the glory and honor for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You will notice, if you've looked at your bulletin, if you've seen the notices, that again, as this is the series that we have primarily been doing on Sunday mornings, uh, today is the ninth in our series of Contending for the Faith. We looked, first of all, at earnestly contending. So there's a fight to be fought for a faith in its fullness on a foundation that's firm against a foe that's a fraud. 
And of course, then we look next as we were going through the book of Judah, exposing the error. And we looked at apostasy historically, and we looked at apostasy here, right now. And then we moved into this mission of experiencing confidence and enjoying contentment. We looked at the necessity of awareness, of attentiveness, of acceptance, of aggressiveness in contending for the faith. In the seventh sermon, we looked at contending for the faith, the fundamentals. What is it that we ought to be willing to fight for, to stand for, to say there is no compromise? I've said to you, there are many things. I have brothers and sisters in Christ. I know many men that stand in the pulpit that are far more capable than me. And they see things different than I do. And that's between them and God. I've said to you that there are things that many times people can divide and split over things that are really not even important. We make enemies of people that aren't our enemies. But that's not our biggest problem today because with the pressures of ecumenicalism all around us, we find that, in fact, we hear many things like, you know, you should stay away from that doctrine because doctrine divides. We say, yes, praise God, it does divide. It divides the truth from the error. It's supposed to divide. We realize that it is not a day when you are going to be popular amongst many of your Christian brethren. When you stand in things that you say, I cannot move, I cannot compromise on those issues. We said that over these next weeks, we're going to look at, first of all, I want you to understand there are fundamentals of the base of the faith. There are those things. That faith has, has once and for all been delivered to the saints. There are those foundational things that under no circumstances whatsoever can someone not accept and believe and practice those things and be part of the same faith that you and I are part of? There are other things. I've got brothers and sisters in the Lord that I know I'll see in heaven one day. I know that they are not heretics. But I also know that there are differences that are important enough that I could not unite myself and join myself to them in a local body as believers and be in agreement and be in unity and walk in accord with. There are things that are fundamental that you can't even, you can't fellowship with those people even as true Christians, as true brothers and sisters in Christ if they don't have the fundamentals right. But folks, there are a lot of things that are important that even though they may not be your enemy, you cannot just pretend that those things are okay. And we'll look at some of those things that are important and that you ought to consider and that you ought to realize that for you to be in agreement with the people, you've got to be in agreement on the fundamentals, but you've got to be in agreement on a lot of important matters of doctrine that you cannot walk how can two walk together except they be agreed? Amen. We looked at just that whole idea of the fundamentals, and then we began. 
And we began in sermon number eight with the first of those fundamentals, I believe the only place to begin, the basis of our faith, the Word of God. We looked last Sunday morning at the first point in that message, which was that the Word of God is inspired. We looked at this whole matter of inspiration. And of course, that's vital. And I don't honestly know how anybody can even read the Bible and deny that. God says it himself. All that, of course, say they believe in inspiration of the Scripture are not talking about the same thing that we're talking about when we use the term a lot of times. We looked at a number of those theories of inspiration that man has simply claimed to be inspiration. But we looked at what true inspiration is all about. We're talking about God inspiring, God literally himself breathing his word. We looked at a number of things about what this God breathed means to us and some of the evidences that are clearly seen besides the main one, which is the fact that God says it, and that should be enough anyway. We looked at a number of things that that inspiration has bearing upon. Illumination, the theme of the Bible, Jesus Christ, the unfolding of God's plan and purpose for the human race through the living word. That manifestation, the supreme purpose of the Bible, the manifestation of the glory of God. That revelation, God revealing in all of his glory and fullness through the word and interpretation. <laughs> It's important, it's vital that God's word be properly interpreted. God gave us his word, but God gave us his spirit. He didn't mean for us to read it and get all confused. Oh no, what does that mean? He gave it to us that we can have understanding. As a matter of fact, it's interesting. I don't have time this morning. Take some time and just challenge yourself to look into the word of God and find out just why God gave, what are all the purposes it's amazing. You know, the Lord gives us a number of reasons why that we have the Word of God. I can tell you it's all for your benefit. Remember, simply, it's God's Word. We said every word is inspired. Every word is God-breathed. And that Word of God is the very basis of the faith that we must contend for the inspiration is fundamental to what we believe about God's Word. Now, I've got five other things, and I originally said I was going to try to fit all those into one sermon. <laughs> I didn't lie to you, just misjudged myself. <laughs> These sermons just seem to grow and grow and grow, and you better be thankful for all the stuff that I have to put aside because, you know, we could, as I said before, I mean, you know, we can't even begin in, in two or three or even four sermons to cover the wonderful things about God's Word. I mean, whole years are taught you on, on the doctrine of the Word in, in, in Bible colleges and institutes, and you still can't fit everything in. But I want to give you some things that will encourage you and challenge you to recognize the importance. It really does matter what we believe about God's Word now, the Word of God is inspired, we've seen. But I want to say to you, now, I started to say you'll notice that 
This is part two. Part three is this evening. That's because we've got visiting missionary speaker next Sunday, and I've only got one more Sunday in the pulpit before that we're going to be away for several weeks. And so I'm going to come back this evening and try to, to get as much of this in because at my very best, I've only got one more shot at it before I go away. And so we want to try to, uh, to do that and not leave this message in midstream while I'm gone for a month. So we say this morning that the Word of God is inspired, but just as surely as it is inspired, it is inerrant. Now, what do we mean? What do we mean? We described what we meant about inspiration. What do we mean about inerrancy? And I mean, I know, besides your pastor, right? <laughs> you all know that I never make an error. But when we're speaking about God's Word, what do we mean? Well, very simply put, folks, you don't really even have to go back and dig out the Greek on that. Inerrant simply means without error. It is breathed by God and it is without error. Now, again, you can find all kinds of definitions and lots of different variations on those definitions. You could literally on this subject alone, you could fill a library with books that are, have been written on this subject over hundreds of years. Some just simply don't believe or except that the Bible is without error. Others believe that it's without error in some matters. For example, maybe those for pertaining to our faith, but in other areas it's not when it comes to dealing with history or science or things like that. I'm not even going to begin to look at all those variations, but rather I want to tell you what it means to truly accept God's Word as an errant why you and I, as children of God, it should be fundamental to what we believe. You can pl find plenty of writers to put forth plenty of arguments against inerrancy as you can against just about any other truth that you want to imagine. But why do we believe it so firmly? Why am I saying to you this morning that I can genuinely tell you with absolute honesty, I believe this is fundamental to your faith. You see, there are so many reasons that we could state for inerrancy, but I want to give you just two, just simply two. First of all, because of what we've already seen, because of the author of the Scriptures, <laughs> because of who wrote it. If we accept inspiration if we accept that it was God himself that truly breathed it, it should naturally follow that the Bible must be inerrant. How could it be given by a holy God and be wrong in any place? We saw in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration, not just the parts pertaining to faith and practice, but all Scripture. And it's all there for a purpose. It's all there for our reproof. It's all there for our correction. It's there for a reason. It's given by inspiration of God. And if it's all God breathed, how can it possibly have error? Is God capable of error? Absolutely not. Some would say, but 
What about the human writers? You know, we say that God inspired it, but he used human writers. Couldn't those men that were penning it, couldn't they have made some errors along the way? Well, we covered that in inspiration. If you didn't get last Sunday morning's sermon, then you can download it from, from the webpage and you can listen to that. Though the men were writers, God was the only author. I gave you the illustration, you know, of the, of, of the cruise ship that nobody had ever been on, <laughs> of the cruise ship. It's going from point A to point B. And yes, it's going there and there is no changing that course. Only the captain is the one that can change that course. Yes, you still have freedom to move around on that deck. And as God used, there is absolutely no question that God gave us the scriptures, the word that he wanted us to have. Yes, we see those men's personalities. Yes, we see their different styles of writing. But God worked through that to give us his word. We find that they did the writing. They wrote it with their own hands. They wrote it through their own personalities. But it was God that inspired every word, and he cannot inspire error. So as God inspired those original autographs, and as it was penned by man, it was done so without error because it was God that was doing it. <laughs> I read C.H. Spurgeon once in, in a sermon entitled The Bible. He said these words, he said, this is the book untainted by any error, but is pure, unalloyed, perfect truth. Why? Because God wrote it. <laughs> ah, charge God with error if you please. Tell him that his book is not what it ought to be. Went on to say, oh, ye who dislike <coughs> certain portions of the Holy Writ, rest assured that your taste is corrupt and that God will not stay for your little opinion. Oh, let us bend in reverence before it, for God inspired it. It is pure truth. You see, the truth is today, a lot of times Christians are afraid to take that kind of a stand. They're afraid to stand up and say that because it's not popular. It's not popular with the masses. It's not even popular with the majority of those that call themselves Christians. Psalm 12 and verse 6 says, The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. In Proverbs 30, verses 5 and 6, listen, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. <laughs> it's never God that can be wrong. I'm saying to you today, we must stand upon the inerrancy of Scripture because God wrote it, and God cannot get it wrong. Not only up on the author of Scripture, but the second reason I want to give you is up upon the authority of Scripture. You see, the Bible teaches its own authority, and this would not be possible without it being 
inerrant. What do you mean, preacher? Matthew chapter 5, <coughs> verse 17 and 18. Jesus said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Jesus said that every tiny, minute detail must be fulfilled. Often in Scripture, whether the word is plural or singular, makes all the difference in the world. Even the, the tense of a verb or the use of a single word, whether it's there or whether it's, it's left out. Many of these small details make huge, huge differences. You see, the Bible itself tells us, and we should recognize that it, if it is, if it is God's Word, every minute detail is vital and important. And if you want a second dose of that, come back this evening because we'll get into that part in a lot more detail when I explain to you why that we use the Bible that we use. Preservation is a total different thing. But we'll look at those things this evening. Right now, I want you just to grasp this effect. This should, boy, this should build your faith. This should encourage you as a, as a child of God. Jesus Christ, while literally in the midst of asserting his deity as to who he really was to the Jews, and they were so glad about it, they were all picking up the stones and getting ready to stone him. Jesus states clearly in John chapter 10, verse 35, Scripture cannot be broken. It cannot be broken, Jesus said. You see, the only justification we can possibly have for the Word of God to be authoritative if it is from God without error. It can't be absolute in its authority and yet it contain any error at all and yet Jesus Christ himself clearly teaches us it is completely authoritative. I think it's a very interesting thing that when you find Jesus there on the mountain being tempted by Satan himself, Jesus Christ, God incarnate in the flesh, and yet, when Satan comes at him and tempts him there, what does he use against Satan? The Word of God. <laughs> the written Word of God that was already written. He could have told him anything. He could have done anything because he had the authority to do so. He's showing us something. The power of the Word of God. <clears throat> Though the term inerrancy maybe a more recent term used to describe Scripture, it's clear that in the Scripture itself and right through the history of the church, there have always been God's people that held this book in its rightful place. There's always been that remnant that believed every word of it was inspired of God and that every word that was given was completely inerrant in everything. God gave us His Word and folks, we can have confidence in it. And I'm going to have to leave you there this morning and we're going to come back this evening and God willing, we'll get at least two more of these, infallibility and indestructibility. The infallibility of God's word and the preservation of his word. And will God willing look at those this evening? 
But I want you this morning, I want you to realize and have absolute total confidence with everything within you. Folks, don't take this book lightly. You know, so many times as Christians, we are so blessed. You know, there are believers around the world this morning that don't even have a copy of this, don't even have a page of it. And yet, most of us have got not just one, but many times two, three, four, five, six, Bibles all around. Don't let it lose its value because you've been blessed with it. Realize what we have. As we look through these, these next couple of times, we begin to grasp what God's Word is and where we've got to stand upon it. Folks, I cannot overstate to you what this book that we call the Bible, the written Word of God, there is nothing else in all the world that can ever point you to eternal life. The only place. There is nothing else. All the great, wonderful writings of the world, there is nothing else in all the world that will feed you and nourish you and strengthen you as a child of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word. Every word. Amazing. And it's all there for you. Now, this service is coming to a close, and maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you've never really thought about it. You see, it's God that says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It's God that says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's God that says while we were yet sinners, while you're still a sinner right here this morning, God commendeth his love towards you that Christ, Jesus Christ, he went to the cross he paid the price. He shed his blood. And the simple truth is, you know it because God said it. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You see, you first believe that he is, that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Maybe God's word. Maybe this morning the first step for you is to take and recognize and to believe that no, not only are you a sinner, but Jesus Christ has paid the price for your sins. Today, you need to put your faith and trust in him and his finished work. Christian, maybe you're here today and you're struggling and you're backsliding and you're, you're walking away from God. Maybe the truth is you haven't been being nourished. You haven't had God's word, hasn't had the rightful place in your life. Maybe right here today, this morning. Maybe you need to come and say, I'm sorry, God. <laughs> maybe you need to come and repent of your sin of neglect and give God's word its rightful place in your heart. Christian, maybe you're just carrying a big burden today. Maybe you need that extra strength. Maybe you need a brother or sister in Christ to pray with you and share for you. We can't save you today. We can't make you walk with God today. We don't have it within our means to meet your spiritual needs. But if we can help you today,
by praying with you, by talking with you, by any way in the world that we want to do so. Even as we sing this closing hymn, if you need to come, then please come. We're following the service if you'd like to talk to us. I'm not real concerned about the fashions. What I am concerned about is this, is if God's dealing with you, don't procrastinate and put it off and walk back out those doors. Do nothing about it today. Mm-hmm.